Welcome everyone back to the Sanderlanch, where we are doing Mistborn, the Well of Ascension, uh, book number two, if you haven't already got that. Uh, <laughs> this week, cha- chapters 43 through to 45. I'm Dak, and joining us is... Data. Joe. And Jamie. So in these chapters, well, chapter 43, some serious shit goes down. Uh, Vin's not feeling too great. Zane exploits that and... Yeah, we get to really see why Mistborns in action are basically the WMDs of this universe. <laughs> and the fallout from that is Vin goes to hide, and after a chat with Ellen, decides she has to leave town. And then both Vin and Ellen separately go to Sazed for relationship advice at the same time, which is a bit, yeah, that was a bit weird, but whatever. So yeah, let's just get sunk into it. The Sandlanch is about to begin. Elders tell us, keepers of the bylaw, treasures of the dirt. Russian string, we swivel and sing, and dig for the annals of the earth. And we try, try, try to keep a little beauty in the world. All that die, 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 we keep it in our hands. Yup, so some stuff goes down this time and i felt like that if we hadn't paid off yet everyone's desire for some action that this would hopefully uh, scratch that itch not that we have seen the last of action for this book because we are approaching the sander Lanch territory here and things are going to get crazy so what did you guys think of these three chapters well i feel like that's probably a good starting point for the sander Lanch. As, as as ham said they wiped out 30 percent of an army with two people yeah that was huge like, the whole time, I'm just like, this is really cool action. I still hate Sazed. Uh, not Sazed. <laughs> um, what's his name? Zane. Zane, Zane the other one. yeah. Yeah. No, I love, I love Sazed. What am I talking about? <laughs> um, but the action as, as it played out, I'm just like, this is just building and building. And holy shit, they're basically just ripping the entire front of the building off. So, yeah, that's one way to... I don't know if that set storyline concluded, but it's at least definitely cut off at the knees for the, for the foreseeable future. And then uh, I cut off at the knees because he can't walk. See, <laughs> I didn't even think of that. That's I was terrible. Just, it is terrible. That was not I'm intentional. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I liked, you know, Vin and Ellen's chat afterwards and how Orosaur, Orosaur still seems to be on. Yeah, I'm like, you, I'm, I'm still your friend after what happened to him. The, the advice seeking chapter is like, this seems like a jars a bit. It's like, not that it's bad, but I'm just like, this seems a bit odd coming off what just happened, but. No, well, we'll deal. But yeah, on the whole, really enjoyed. Holy fuck, that first one was huge. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like the next two are like, okay, we need a little bit of a relaxing uh, couple chapters after that, please. So these chapters for me, um, yeah, we did get some action, but it doesn't really scratch an itch for me because the whole thing kind of just made me feel gross. And, you know, she she kind of does do a Walter here because she basically throws set across the room. It's like, fight me. You know, she does the Walter from uh, from Big Lebowski, but there's no comedy yep. behind it. It's just kind of sad and sick. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I actually have to say that I really that first chapter was very hard to read. And the action of it is really not satisfying because of kind of why it's happening and what's going on. The lies and the deceit and the guilt that all comes with it. It's just not 
not super uh, super fun to read about. So that was pretty pretty rough for me that first chapter. I, I actually liked, and I think that's maybe this is Brandon giving us some relief here from the heaviness uh, that Venice feeling. I, I like the sazed like relationship advice portion of the of the chapters. I thought that was kind of a a little bit of a relief from the heavy tone that the first chapter or the previous chapter had had. So. I, I actually enjoyed that quite a bit, and um, I just wish, you know, and and of course it's like this in every will they won't they reconcile and be together situation in in literature or fiction or TV what have you. It's just like I, I just wish they would they would get on with it and like be together and and not and not have so much not fret so much not worry so much about their future and just like cherish what they have right now. But I mean, obviously that's not going to happen especially since they both feel like they have these other responsibilities that they have to uh live up to so these chapters felt really real which is not a bad thing it just was also you know kind of rough but still enjoyable you're not kidding that they both have other responsibilities they feel like they need to be dealing with ellen's like i still have to save the city and Vin's like i think i'm the hero of ages or something and i need to do this other thing it's uh their relationship is pulling them in some different directions here yeah, and I mean, that's justified with what's going on in, in their lives. And look, I mean, typically they've got more on their plate than most people their <laughs> age would, you know. Yep. You were a scar thief and, and now you're in a relationship with the former king of the biggest city and whatever, Skadrill. And yeah, you've got to try and save the world and maintain a relationship at the same time. Like, I get it. It's hard work. <laughs> I don't know. Like, wasn't that a season on Saved by the Bell? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Somebody was king, and uh, somebody had to save the the world through, with a magical uh, well. Sure, yeah, I remember that one. Canadian mist monsters. Yeah, <laughs> and you know everybody was like, "It's all right, cause I'm," and you know they and, said the you know the rest then, of the words. Yeah, the, the typical one, teenager stuff. The one girl went and did showgirls after that, and it was all uh, good, right? <laughs> um, I I like these chapters. I was glad we got that fight scene. I I was a bit uncomfortable with the fact that it was like her reasoning was she was frustrated so she went and killed a whole bunch of people. Mm. Um Zane is really getting to her. Like we've had that sort of obvious getting to her. It's like, you know, Ellen is just using you, you're the knife, but she's starting to even think that way now, which is is quite it's making me a bit uncomfortable. She really doesn't know where she stands. Oh, shush. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No. Go away. <laughs> It's my turn to talk, not yours. Okay. <laughs> Despite that, I I quite liked the battle scene. It was it was kind of cool to get some Mistborn fighting for a while, but the, you know they didn't really provide that challenge. So mm. I think that we will we will see more impressive fights. As soon as we had that Wallen point of view, I was like, ah, they're doing this so they can get their entrance sorted <laughs> from another perspective. I see what you're doing there, Sanderson. Um, so that that was good. And yeah, the relationship advice from Sazed. You know, Sazed and Tinwell, I'm actually really enjoyed, enjoying, like, their relationship and then their interactions with the other people on the crew. And we've got a new mystery as well, which pretty pretty exciting. So it's definitely definitely heating up. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I kind of agree with you that, like, the fight starts out cool, and then it's just there's so not a challenge that you start to feel bad. 
it's like, oh, this is this is not yeah. like when Kelsier fought those uh, Haze killers at the beginning of the last book where it was like it was a fight and he was getting beat up and stuff. This yeah. is just Vin slaughtering like dozens of people wholesale. And it's kind of sad. Yeah. Yeah. And for Vin, too. I mean, she's already experiencing this uncertainty that mm. Zane is, is planting in her head. But she was also so sure in herself that Set was misborn. Yep. And that they must have a misborn, and it must be him. And she she relies so heavily on her gut instinct, and her gut instinct was wrong. Yep. And now that's got to be messy with her big time. Yeah, yeah, that's the second chapter where she's like she, her reaction to what happens is uh, she's having some issues for sure, and I don't yeah. blame her. Okay, well let's get into these three chapters. I like the first epigraph because he's like, the others call me mad. As I've said, that may be true. It's just like, there's a mad scientist thing here. He's like, mad? Maybe I am mad. <laughs> that fellow Radio Shack said I was mad. But who's <laughs> mad now? <laughs> and then uh, the chapter starts out with like, it's not even Orsor telling her. It's like her remembering Orsor telling her about how Ellen went to the Kolos camp as she watches him sleep. And she's not as upset as I think I expected. I mean, she's like... Is she not? She is beating herself up, just like, yeah. I couldn't protect him. I couldn't protect him. He went into Kolos territory. I couldn't protect him. Like, no, she she's, wasn't she's mad. freaking out. She wasn't mad that he went. She was upset that she couldn't protect her, uh, protect him, and yeah. that he doesn't need her anymore. Yeah. And that he doesn't need her, exactly. Yeah. It's not like, like I expected her to be angry. Like, are you crazy? Why would you go and do something like that? Like, that is the stupidest thing. And instead, she's like, no, I get it. He did. He's acting like a king. He's doing king things. And I'm upset because I wasn't there and I couldn't save or I couldn't be there for him when he did this. Yeah, she's basically just like put all of her self-worth into her usefulness mm-hmm. rather, rather than how, how people actually feel about her. And now she's just like, well, I'm, I'm useless. That makes me a useless person. What the fuck? Yeah, which is kind of confusing because, you know, Zane's trying to basically tell her, well, he just thinks of you as a tool, but but he's not trying to use her that way. He's doing things on his own, but then she's upset about that. So, like, it's it's very confusing to me. It's it, it's teenager logic. Sure, I mean, you know, sure. Yeah. I almost a teenage girl, but then I'm like, no, I, I think he, he, boy or girl uh, when you're. Uh, teenager, yeah, that is you're just that, that, that is that is not specific to a single gender. <laughs> It's like, I know, I've been there, it's fine. Uh, and then, speaking of Zane, while she's sitting there feeling sorry for herself and stuff, he shows up. And he's like, he's not safe, Finn. I can't even tell you about a traitor. That man, Demu, contacted my father and wants to open the city gates to us. Yeah, and as soon as he comes out of his mouth, I'm like, well, Demu's not the spy. Yeah, me too. Yeah, no, probably not. Yeah. Although he's trying to make it sound like Demu is a spy for Set, so... It might even make it a better fake out if Demu is actually his spy and then they can like prove Demu's a conjurer. And it's like, see, I'm telling you the truth. But no, I agree that it doesn't seem likely. Yeah. And in the moment later where Seth's like, I, I didn't send those assassins. I, I, I sent my missed assassins before. They tried to kill you and you killed all of them. That's all the ones I had. Yeah. And like in that moment, if she believes Set and then Zane shows up to try to kill Set, why does she not like confronting Zane and be like, you lied? Right. He didn't send those assassins. Although, I guess what Zane said was that he recognized them from Set's staff. And we know that Vin also saw one of them on Set's staff. So it's not like he's claiming to have insider knowledge that these guys were working for Set. He's just like, I saw them. But it does seem like, well, if you now know Set didn't do it, who do you think did it, Vin? Like, there's not that many options here. 
but I think she's a little caught up in uh, her own thing at that point to put logical thought into that. Yeah, she's, she's caught up in her own thing, but then also she's going to have to deal with the fact that Zane just used her exactly the same way that he's telling her Ellen is using her. Mm-hmm. You know, he's seeing that she's so powerful and together they can wipe out a, basically a defenseless enemy. That's going to make sense for Straff, not for anybody else. So, yeah, she's going to have to come to terms with that too, which is going to be really difficult for her. Yep. But then, uh, like, she starts logicking out. It's like, wait, if Damon's the Chandra, then Domino's falling. Set. I know this guy was on set staff, so that means X, Y, and Z. And Zane's like, Set almost killed the man you love. Your Ellen does as he wishes. Let's do as you wish. And she's so upset about all of this that she's like, okay, let's go. And I want to touch on the uh, the annotations here because Brandon says, so Vin makes a decision here. Yes, she's been manipulated, but as Breeze is fond of saying, we all manipulate each other all the time. And didn't Zane didn't get her to do anything that she had didn't already lean towards doing. That said, Zane is a master at manipulating people. I wanted him to be brilliant at playing with people's emotions. He's been soothing and rioting Vin for most of this book, but very subtly. You rarely get to see it explicitly, since when it's happening, we're in her head and her emotions just feel like her emotions to her. But watch the narrative and you'll see little spikes of emotion caused by Zane. Even without that, however, I hope that you can see why Vin made the decision she did. It's important for me and the book that she does what she does next. She had to try the violent way. She had to give in, I think. It was always there, hovering so close that if she rejected it without even trying, I think it would have felt like a worthless rejection. I I, don't, I feel like I disagree with Sanderson about his own book. Why would she not have her <laughs> copper on when Zane's around? I don't. She's letting her guard down that much that she doesn't have her copper on. It seems like a rookie era, doesn't it? Yes, I it think. I think that there's a thing where if you have copper on, you can't use your bronze to detect like people using allomancy. So maybe she finds that more important generally than the copper, especially uh, if she's not actively using allomancy she wants to hide i don't know that's a it's a fair point i mean she compares a copper cloud so if she compares a copper cloud don't you think she could maybe still use both Mm, that's an interesting point actually i don't know i don't know if she can pierce her own copper cloud Mm. if she's stronger than usual is her copper cloud stronger than usual Mm, i don't know i don't think now that i think about it i don't think it's ever mentioned in the in in any of the books about that but yeah Apparently, she does not have her copper on all the time, which she sh- should absolutely do, and she's making a rookie mistake, especially around someone especially- that she knows has powers like this. And given, like, her, you know, deep-seated trust issues, which have been, like, a defining part of her character since the beginning, and they've never really gone away. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't know. That's crazy. What, why you do this, Finn? But I feel like he has a point that, I mean, even when, when Set first showed up, Joe's like, just kill him. Why would you not kill him? Kill him. And so... He's like, she had to try the violent way at some time, at some point. It's like hovering there. You have to give it a shot. And she thinks, what would Kelsier, or you know, he says, what would your Kelsier tell you to do? And it's kind of like the same conversation that uh, Vin and, I mean, sorry, Ellen and Tindwell had, where she's like, wouldn't have gotten into the situation in the first place because he wouldn't have tolerated these people. There's a weird mirror there to like, when Tindwell's like, no, the people I've read about would never have gotten into this situation. But they decide to go out and uh, kill some people. And she's like, Orsur, give me my adium. And Orsur tries to convince her not to do it. He's like, no, no, you don't want to do this. And then she has her her badass line where she's like, set threatened all that I love. He will soon know there's something in this world more deadly than his assassins, more powerful than his army, more terrifying than the Lord Ruler. And I am coming. 
That's it's the Liam Neeson uh, taken line right there. Yeah. I'm Batman. Yeah, that too. <laughs> it's Liam Neeson as Batman. He'd be oh, really old sick. Batman at this point. Yeah, dude, he'd be he'd be like the Batman uh, Dark Knight Returns Batman. Yeah, yeah, okay. And that's when we cut to, uh, as Jamie said, like Wallen's perspective, random soldier number two on the wall. Uh, you're like, this can't be good for this guy. Well, we he, 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 he seems to make it out okay. It's literally everyone around him who gets dropped. Yeah, that's true. He's the one guy who uh, does not get taken out. Like, act- there's there's going to be a subplot in book three of this guy doing an anti-Mistborn like, sect of religion. <laughs> He's like, no, kill the Mistborn, kill the Mistborn, and like, suddenly surprise antagonist for the third book here. It's actually funny that you say that, because... In the annotations, there's just a little note here where he's like, oh, and by the guy, the, by the way, the guy in the wall, Wells, or he's Wellen, but is a cameo. He's my good friend, Dan Wells. He's not this much of a coward, but he didn't make it into book one, so I figured I'd throw him in here. And then in parentheses, it says, watch for him in book three. So, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, maybe maybe Dak is right on target. But, like on, on that note, it's, it's like he's not that much of a coward. Is this guy really a coward? He just literally watched 40 people around him get killed and he nearly died himself. Like, if That's I was in that situ- situation, yeah. I probably would also flee and wet myself. But even before that, like, he, his whole, before the Mistborn show up, his whole thing is he's like, there's something out there. The Mists are, like, freaky, and, uh, like, he's very scared of what's out there. It turns out that he has a reason yeah. to be in this case. <laughs> right. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's because we're, we're the reader and we know that he's right, but it seems like, <laughs> dude, you, you are <laughs> spot on. We're screwed, man. We're screwed. Brandon also says in the annotations that he wanted to write something like this chapter ever since he saw the lobby scene in The Matrix. Not because it was so amazing, <laughs> which it was, but because I think they handled it wrong. The characters commit this huge slaughter, but never see the horror of it, only the awesome visuals. And there should be repercussions when something like this happens. So, interesting inspiration. But yeah, so uh, they show up at Key Hastings, take out the outside guards with a spray of coins. Except for Wellen, who's like... Uh, hiding left him behind alone amid the corpses of what had once been a squad of 40 men. Yeah. And Zane's like, okay, we're going from the bottom up. So the plan is to start at the bottom, kill everyone, move up to the next floor, kill everyone looking for set, which this is hardcore. Like seriously, it's like, uh, it's like changes when the red court attacks the FBI building. Oh yeah. Like the cartels do. Yeah. More, more, more Dresden files, (laughs) random references (laughs) for people out there. And uh, yeah, they, they first take out like start. They fight a squad of soldiers outside, and I like that. I like the moment where they throw the coin in between them and push against it to like push against each other, and then that weight into the pushes to either side against the army. So they're just like hanging there, pushing out against everyone, throwing everyone away. That's like some crazy teamwork. And then Zane uses uh, one soldier to like basically as a human battering ram to smash the doors down bones crunched and the door flung open as the soldier burst into the room beyond. Yep. Yeah, there's a lot of shit going on. It is a really badass fight, but and and when the like we see what, what does she say? There's like 50 haze killers. And you're like, "Okay, well we know from the previous book these haze killers are badasses trained to fight alamancers, right? So this is going to be a fight." It's still really not that much of a fight. They get in there with their knives and jump around and break dance moves or something as they're just spinning and slicing people apart. <laughs> break dance moves. That's, I don't, <laughs> you know, that's just uh, Zoolander style. They're break dance fighting. Yep, exactly. Yeah. 
or the scene in Kill Bill where she's like flinging around on the floor, sweeping her sword around, cutting people's legs legs apart. Yep. Yeah, that's yep. that's kind of how I picture some of what she's doing here. Uh, and yeah, she's just uh, they're killing lots and lots of these guys. She doesn't even use the dual lumen for a long time. Like she's just doing it without that. Right. She's uh, she's a fighter. And I don't know if maybe these haze killers aren't as good as the ones we saw in the last book or what it is. Or maybe they're just more ready for somebody like throwing metal around because they have like the wooden shields and stuff to block things. And that's how Kelsier kind of fought in that in the last book when he was fighting Hayes killers was like by throwing metal around and he had to figure out a way around their shields to like bash them with his little ingot. But she doesn't go for that. She she uses her daggers and stuff. Yeah, she's uh, I think whereas Kelsier was kind of more of a a calculating person and had to think through things vin is more of an instinctual fighter and that's probably because of her time on the street Mm -hmm. but it's it's more of a natural thing to her than it was to kelsier because as we read in the 11th medal like kelsier's natural inclination was not to fight and kill originally it was to you know schmooze his way talk his way out of stuff um and gimbal's like no that's not what Mistborn do that's not what you're doing so you know it's just it's Something he probably just wasn't as adept at as uh, as Vin appears to be. Yeah. And they established earlier that she's had about the same amount of time to train as Kelsier did. But I think that she may have fought, uh, done a lot more fighting than Kelsier did in his time training. I mean, you know, she fought the Lord Ruler for one thing, which um, Kelsier did not manage to live through. But uh, she goes up to another floor and then like 50 guys show up. And I, it's like 50 to 1 must have seemed like good odds for the men. And they charged confidently. And she, this is when she starts using Duralumin, and as she's surrounded by these men, she pulls on the metal frames of the stained glass windows around her and pulls, like, rips the metal out, pulls all this jagged metal and shards of glass into the men on the outside of this circle that's closing in on her. And then she jumps out and uses Duralumin again and pushes so that all that metal that's impaled in these guys on the outside, she's now using to push everyone else, including the dead people, out the window and uh, into the open air so that they fall, I think, three stories at this point. So it's not even a contest, and this is this is the point where it's like, oh, this is kind of sad. I guess Kelsier never had Duralumin either, so... But yeah, dead, dying, and unharmed were swept from the room and pushed out the window. And she keeps going up, keeps killing people, until she finds Set... And his son, and she's like, uh, which one is Mistborn? It's got to be one of them, right? And uh, the kid, meow meow, he he takes a swing and she just like shoves him and sets like, leave him alone. Leave meow meow alone. And she's like, it's it's really kind of a sad scene because she's like, fight me. Like she wants somebody to fight, somebody who will actually like give her a challenge here. Probably because she's already feeling bad about how easily she slaughtered at least 100 people already. I guess we find out later that between the two of them, they took out 300. So for, for her to realize she's killed so many people and there's not even that challenge at the end, she's got to be going, fight me, like, show me your powers because I have to be right because of what I've just done. Mm-hmm. Because if, you know, if she's not right, then that means that she just killed a bunch of people who couldn't even really defend themselves against her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they weren't as big a threat as what... She thought, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just coming, it's just coming down to like she needs to be right about something because for a while now she's been feeling like she keeps missing things. She's wrong about everything. She needs a win in her column, and like she came here looking for one, and she 
didn't get it. Yep. At the same time, we do find out here in this chapter that this is a guy who sent, like, several assassins to kill her. And so what that she's already killed his assassins before she got here and she didn't know that there was no Mistborn left or whatever. It's like, you you tried to kill her and Ellen with, like, a group of Alamancer assassins. I don't feel terribly bad for you, Set. I feel kind of bad for the people you brought along, but even when he gets, like, thrown out of his chair and hits his head against the wall and there's blood running down, I'm like, yeah, you can't really defend yourself at this point, but you started this. Oh, he's not a good guy, but, yeah, his his men didn't deserve to die like this. Mm. Well, and, and you feel bad because, like, after she knocks him down, his son's like, leave him alone, and has his, like, dueling cane and is completely helpless to defend his dad in any way. And then Seth's like, no, stand aside, crying. son. Yeah. <laughs> he held his ground pathetically, hopelessly. And Seth's yeah. like, no, stand aside, son. There's nothing you can do. Also, it it mentions Vin's crying, right? And she doesn't realize why. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. The boy starts to weep. And yeah, and she reaches up and realizes that she has tears on her own cheeks. So this is not a... This, nobody's feeling good tonight. Except maybe Zane. He's probably fine. Oh, fuck that guy. But he's he, I, I, he's kind of a, uh, a sociopath, probably, so... The voice of God is just going, yay, kill them. <laughs> that's probably true, yeah. Mm. I'm having a great time. And that's when she's just like, wait, it's like, you have no Mistborn. You don't, I didn't, there were no Alamancers at all. You used them all up, didn't you? And he's like, I didn't send the ones at the assembly all. Dude, like, I sent, I sent all of the Alamancers I had. And even those weren't from my family. Because we have so much ska blood that Aurian is the only Alamancer that we've had in our family for centuries. I did feel like he kind of threw that out there unprompted, because, I mean, as far I guess as far as they're aware, no one else knows that Orianne is an Alamancer at this point. But True. he thinks he thinks he's about to die, so I guess he's got nothing le- nothing to lose by saying it. Well, and I, if Orianne uses hers as much as Breeze uses his, you might just assume that anyone with bronze nearby would have figured it out pretty quickly. Yeah, True. And he explains that uh, he came to Luthadel because he knew that Straff was going to come for him eventually and that he had to try and take the city and get the Adium so he could buy himself some Alamancers. And Vince, like, you could have just offered us an alliance. And Seth's like, no, no, no. Silly girl. That's not the way that politics works. You take or you get taken. And besides, I like to gamble, <laughs> which is a bold thing to say when your gamble has led yeah. to, like, all of your men being slaughtered and this <laughs> born standing over you about to murder you. <laughs> I've always been a gambling man. Maybe I should rethink that. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how's that but, working out for you, bud? Exactly. It's another Liam Neeson moment, right? He's like, you either take or you get taken. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I, I guess Ellen was kind of right in the last set of chapters that we read that Set came here and he was kind of desperate specifically to, like, because Vin says, like, an alliance would have worked. We could have had an alliance between us, which is kind of what Ellen says, that Set has basically forced them into an alliance in the last set of chapters by being here. So I guess he did kind of sort of want that, but he wanted to gamble on being able to be the one in charge, like, be negotiating from a position of strength, I guess. He's kind of an idiot, clearly. And that's when Zane shows up, and he's going to kill Set, and Vin's like, no, leave them alone. Like she's realized like that there's nothing to be gained here. This is all just 
messed up. And she also realizes because she reaches out for him and he moves away like he knew what was happening before she did it. And she's like, he's probably been burning at him this whole time. And he didn't even need it to fight. Like, I didn't need it. Why would he need it to fight these guys? He's not as good as you, Vin. He also has Adium to spare, so. And uh, she begs him. She's like, please leave them alone, please. And he's like, he still controls you then. I thought maybe if you could fight and see how powerful you were, you'd shake yourself free. But I guess I was wrong. And he takes off. And Vin also leaves, leaving a broken keep, shattered army, and a humiliated lord behind. So, yeah, I mean, that a lot of action, but not, like, good-feeling, victorious action. Yeah, from a, from a technical standpoint, it was fascinating, and all the various stuff they did was really interesting to read, but it's uh, you don't feel clean. Yeah. I can see why, um, Joe, you're not a huge fan. But I guess that, that was the point, like, that was the intended reaction. Like, you're not meant to feel good when reading right. this chapter. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's what he said in the annotations. He's like, more for the characters, I guess, than us. But he's like, there should be repercussions from, like, just doing stuff like this. You can't just walk away happy. Yeah. So this is the point where, like, I've, I've been saying for weeks now that I don't like Zane and I wish he would go away. Now I'm at the point where it's like, all right, you have officially just crossed into, like, you're an outright villain, and I want you to go down. I, I sincerely hope that there is no redemption story arc for Zane, because I, I, I don't like where he's gone. I mean, yeah, like he, he goes on about being insane, but like he is just refusing to take responsibility for any of this stuff. Like what he's done, what he's doing to Vin. I know Sanderson's made the point that you know she made the choice to do this, which is valid. But everything Zane has done, like he just does this stuff, and he, he doesn't care. He has no empathy mm-hmm. for all the people he's just destroyed like Vin, like Vin does. He's, it's just all about him and what he can do with his powers for shits and giggles, effectively. And I'm like, all right, you, I, I, I want you to go down and I will not complain when you do. You almost see how he straffs Sun at this point. Yeah. I mean, you can see how he straffs Sun, but Zane is firmly on Team Zane. Like, he he's there for himself. He's playing everybody. So, like, no one can trust him. I think that's absolutely true. Weirdly, he may not even be able to trust himself with how crazy he is. But, Mm. yeah, I don't know, Dak, maybe this is getting into predicaments territory. But if he's going down this book, how do you see that happening? Like, who gets to pull the trigger on that? I don't know. I don't know if he does go down this book. Like, the way they're setting him up, I feel like the overall villain of this book is going to be Strap, and maybe he'll go down, but Zane will do the Megatron thing. It's like next time Optimus and, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and duck away. So I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like after what he's done, if anyone puts him down, it's got to be Vin, but okay. they might pull a bait and switch it. And like maybe dear brother Ellen is, um, will take him down instead. That would um, be impressive. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the wild out there predictions, well, we may as well just do this now is, um, <laughs> I would hope, I would hope that, uh, like I, I like the idea of like Zane trying to kill either Elland or Vin, and then Orisur comes to the rescue and does kill him, and then like that's the holy shit you've broken your contract, and like Orisur's like I'll just have to wear it because that was worth it. I mean, if he breaks his contract and kills a human, he we we find out that he goes back for execution. So yeah, that's pretty dark. But but that well that is dark. But then that could also be a um. That, like, that could be an impetus for Vin to try and protect him. You know, she goes with him and tries to save him from execution. Like, that could be another step in their relationship, which would be fascinating. And then we get to see Bone Blob Country because Vin goes there. Who knows? Huh. 
like 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 in uh, Wise Man's Fear when Kvoth goes with Tempe back to back to Adem, yeah, yeah, the memory. Yeah, interesting. I like that. You said Megatron. It got me thinking about Beast Wars for some reason. Did you guys watch Beast Wars? <laughs> oh, Optimus Primal. See, the the <laughs> the thing about that show is, I mean, the animation doesn't stand up at all at this point, but it's really great because the bad guys win a lot. Like Megatron in that show is actually really smart and good at planning stuff and manipulates his enemies and like wins all the time, which you didn't oh. see on a lot of those kids shows. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Beast Machines, the sequel to that was like that, too. But that yeah. one was much harder for me to get into, so I didn't watch much of it. And I didn't like that one as much. Yeah. OK, sorry. Random side. <laughs> it's Dax fault. <laughs> he said Megatron and I love Megatron. My uh, bad. Uh, so next chapter and next epigraph and he he said in the last epigraph he's like maybe i am crazy and this follows that up by being like but even a crazy person has to rely on his own mind and not that of others right i don't know if that's 100 percent true um no i yeah. doctors disagree with this statement yeah exactly <laughs> i mean ellen or ellen sorry zane uh, clearly you know he thinks he's insane he's hearing a voice he doesn't listen to it half the time, so I mean, I guess maybe he's using his own mind, but mm. who knows? That's fair. Now, now we got some Zane Quan parallels going on. Maybe they're both crazy, or maybe neither of them is crazy. Bump, bump, bump. Because there's a the guy in the trash can that follows Zane around, right? So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Quan's a bad uncle. Zane's a bad nephew. Hey. Right. Wait, no, not a nephew. He's a bad not son. A nephew. Just I was about to say, I don't know who Strass' brother or sister is, but. <laughs> <laughs> okay so breeze and clubs are hanging out again and watching as sets army leaves so after 300 of his men are slaughtered in one night by two people sets like okay i guess this is the time to leave it, it's <laughs> been made clear that we're not welcome here uh didn't know my bad i guess we'll leave <sighs> and clubs is like oh this is it this is the end and I don't know, was anyone else thinking as Set's army is leaving that this was a bad thing versus possibly a good thing that one of the armies is gone? I mean, they clear it up first pretty quickly that yeah. it's a bad thing. Pretty cool. Um, so I didn't have much time to think about it, but I was like, well, if his army's leaving, I mean, does that leave a power vacuum or does it create, you know, issues for them? But I, I definitely agree with clubs. It's like now it's in Straff's hands. He's like, he can literally just walk away and let the Coloss have the city and then he can take it after. Yeah, that's the Coloss were kind of a wild card until you realize that they're not planners and they're not worried about Straff's, uh, you know, long term thinking, really. Except to the degree that Jastes might be a planner and can control them, which uh, I think we saw in the last episode we did is probably not much. Yeah, don't have high hopes for that. <laughs> and so, yeah, Clubs is like, once Straff figures out that he can walk away and let the Coloss take the city and then take it after, we're going to die. Which Clubs, uh, he's a pretty smart general. It's too bad that they weren't off trying to conquer somebody else because he's good at this job. Not that Ellen's really the kind of guy to go around conquering other people, but, you know. And we cut to Ham and Ellen, and Ham's like, yeah, 300 men. And Ellen's like, oh, that's not so bad. And Ham's like, dude, that's that was one-third of the men that Set brought into the city with him in less than 10 minutes. Just dead. That's bad. And Vin is not getting a lot of respect here. Like, Spook is immediately like, well, she's crazy. 
and Ham goes off on this thing where he's like, well, you know, that this one time she started saying all this crazy shit for no reason. Honestly, that bothered me more than the entire last chapter. Yep. I know exactly. I always thought Ham was the most compassionate and the one who in the crew who had the most empathy for him to just like write off Vin's impassioned spiel from the last book like that. I'm just like, I need to reevaluate everything I thought about Ham at this point because I thought he got it. I don't know how much any of them got it, actually. And he does mention this in the well, annotations. Now, now that we've got this, yeah. He says, Ham, I mean, he, he he goes back over what, he's like, hey, this is the scene where this happens, which I think we probably remember. And he says, Ham never understood why she did this. He just saw an irrational young girl. And in truth, a teenage girl's emotions can be rather volatile. However, I think her explosion was quite rational, as did Kelsier, who goes and talks to her afterwards and apologizes. So I agree. This has always bothered me in this book that he would say something like that when we know we're like, no, what she said made complete sense. You are way more like a nobleman than you are like a ska. You cannot say otherwise because it's 100 percent true. Yeah. Like if if it had been Breeze or Clubs or maybe even Dachshund, but that one might be a stretch, mm-hmm. like who didn't quite get it, I would understand. But Ham, like, uh of all people, that mm, that that doesn't sit right with me. Yeah, it bugs me. Maybe Ham really yep. is the Chandra. <laughs> I think <laughs> I th- I think more than anything, they're also just like super freaked out. They're like, you know, even at Kelsier's most powerful, he never did anything like this. This is insane. And 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 Ham especially, I think. And and we see this in the first book because he's he gets to the point where he's kind of scared of Kelsier too. Yeah. I think Ham Ham more than anyone in the, else in the crew, like when he sees the potential of of power and and the abuse of that power in a person, it scares him, and he gets scared of that very quickly. And I'm not saying he's justified in saying she's irrational, she says all this crazy stuff, but you from his perspective, he's he's scared of Finn. He was scared of Kel. He started to be scared of Kelsier, and now he's scared of Vin because he's like, she's doing things that even a Mistborn, even I know about Pewter, and the stuff she's mm. doing with Pewter, nobody can do that. Like this is this is frightening. Her power. Yep. And I mean, he's not totally unjustified there when he starts talking about how she's doing the stuff that she, there's no way she should be able to do this stuff. And we know that the things that he's pointing at are really. Duralumen accounts for a decent amount of that, but I guess she still hasn't told them about Duralumen. So, from their perspective, it might seem freaky. This this might even be like we're getting into like weird Inquisitor territory now, where she's doing weird magical stuff that nobody should be able to do. And not only that, but he points out she's also hiding things from us. There was another Mistborn involved. Who was that? And Spook jumps in. He's like, Kelsier could have kept it together. When he was here, even our failures were part of his plan. And Elm's He's really tr- not adding much to the conversation. No, he's not. Although, at least he's conversing in a way that you guys can understand now. So, you get, uh, you know, take your victories where you can get them. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. Honestly, like, when I saw he was here, I'm just like, are you here just so we don't forget that you exist? I, I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, that's got to be the reason, right? And uh, this is where... We get the reveal that Spook's like, oh, by the way, you were right about the coins that you brought back from the Kolos army. They're made of wood painted with gold. E- very easy to pick out as fakes, unless you're an idiot or Kolos. So we knew that fake 
got that fake um, money was coming from somewhere. So. Yep. And honestly, when we hit that point in the book, I was like, I was impressed because I definitely didn't pick up on. I thought it, when they like, oh, there's counterfeit coins. I was like, oh, this is just they're just adding on more random crap to bog Ellen down in like city maintenance. I didn't give it a second thought. And you guys, I think Jamie especially was like, no, this is significant. He wouldn't have wrote written that if it, there wasn't a reason for it. So I, I was impressed. And it totally works as a foreshadowing for how Jastes is controlling the Coloss. Well, how he's controlling them. Also, how is this? How are these coins getting into circulation? Like, if he's giving them to the Coloss, yeah, and they're and, quite obviously fakes. How are they? How are they in Luthadel? And yeah, they ask that question here, and they're like, nobody's sure. Maybe he tried to give them to peasants or beggars in his home dominance. But yeah, it's a good question. Like, how did random uh, Coloss coins get here? Hmm. Maybe there's. This, I don't think a coloss just strolled into town and tried to stuff. Probably so. No, they'd be pretty obvious looking, yeah. wouldn't they? <laughs> just <laughs> strolling into skin. one of the shops looking for a dress, you know. <laughs> it just doesn't seem right. Hello, I am the person. I would like to buy meat. <laughs> <laughs> I am a human person, human, and I would like some human things. Oh, there's a. Uh, have you ever guys seen like the um, Asdaf movies on YouTube, like the animated sketch comedies? I don't think so. Uh, there's like one recurring sketch through them. It's like uh, there's like a cow pretending to be a man, and it's, just, <laughs> and it's just like it's just it's just this cow wearing like a propeller, like a cap or a propeller hat or something with a skateboard under one arm, and he's just like, "Yes, I am real man. Would you like to go skateboard?" <laughs> I have to find this now. That sounds awesome. I don't know what about a cow pretending to be a person is that funny to me, but it totally is, and I can't explain it. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna find that. Oh gosh. I'll I'll send you a link. Okay. Uh, okay, so Ellen's trying to explain to him. It's like the Coloss are different now, or maybe we just never understood them in the first place. But yeah, and Ham's like, well, it would be easier knowing, uh, easier to be strong if I knew our Mistborn wasn't insane. Which, yeah, okay, that's fair. Kind of the same thing that Tinwill says a little bit later. And Ham's worried that maybe you know Set's going to retaliate with his Mistborn because this is exactly the kind of reason that the nobility didn't use Mistborn against each other all the time. We know that's not a worry. Set doesn't have any, but uh, and even the one he did have, Vin took him Vin's down. Vin's the only one who knows that. It's true. She didn't stop and tell anyone. And Ellen's trying to keep everybody up. He's like, hey, Set's gone. One of the armies is gone. This is good. And then Orser shows up and he's like, I found her. And random fun fact here. I, you guys probably figured out that she was hiding in, like, you know, one of Cammon's old places because she starts talking about that as soon as he finds her in this, like, hide, hidden little cubby that Ellen immediately figures out must be some sort of, like, thieving crew secret thing because he sees the peephole and everything is for watching the street below. But what Brandon says in the annotations is that the room where Ellen finds her is the first place where we met Vin in book one. She was sitting in that cubby, looking out at the street and wishing that she were as free as the ash. And now that she yeah, has freedom, I remember that. she's terrified mm. by what mm. she's done with that freedom. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember, especially when when he goes in there and it's so tiny and he says there's like a peephole thing. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is where this is like Vince place. This is where she would like yeah. stay and hide in Kevin's hideout. So it's some interesting uh, kind of. Going back to some of her uh, character building in the series, it's kind of cool. And she starts talking to Vin or Vin to Ellen about Cammon, and she's like, "I always thought he was so like, terrible, 
he beat people and killed people, but I doubt he killed as many people in his entire life as I killed last night. I was like a child in a room full of bugs. Oh, yeah, she is messed up about it, and I, not without reason. She, like like you were saying, Zane has no empathy. He doesn't give a shit. But Vin is hurt deeply by what and why what she did. She tells Ellen about her mom and how she, her mom killed her baby sister and gave her an earring. That story keeps coming back, and it's just weird every time. And Ellen has so much faith in her. He's like, you had a good reason for what you did. And Vin's like, no, I really didn't. And I, I'm a little bit with Ellen when he's just like, look, these were enemy soldiers who marched into our city to try and like take us over. And I'm like, he's got a point. It goes back to what I said before about like, I don't feel that sorry for Set because he started this in the first place. But uh, she's also not wrong. <laughs> also, if that was enough of a good reason to do what she did, why didn't they do it earlier? Right. Well, and I mean, she was tempted. Even like before they threatened Straff, she was like, I could just go out there and kill Straff and Set. But they decided that maybe that would be a bad idea. So I, I think that temptation to like use violence has been hanging over us this whole book. And so finally we mm-hmm. see what happens when she does. It's like a very, you know, Batman-ish conversation. Like, as Batman has the whole never, never take a life rule. Mm-hmm. And this is them discussing the merit, the merits of, well, this is why you did. And this is why I shouldn't have sort of thing. And she's kind of worried that she's turning into Kelsier or Kelsier was just like, you know, kill whoever he felt like killing with his own code to determine that these people deserve to die. And she's like, I don't want to be like him. And Ellen, I love Ellen because he's like, I don't know what I can do here. I really want to help. And I don't know how, tell me what to do. And that's when she says that she might have to leave to go to Terrace. She's got to go find that. Well, and he's like, okay, if that's what you think you should do, then you should do that. And she's like, would you go with me? And he can't, even though the city rejected him, he can't abandon them. It's just that Ray, the Ray finds bit from in Bruges. He's like, you got to stick to your principles. Yep. Although see, it, it, it works out very uh, weird for him, but you know, his character is ridiculous in that movie, but I will give him that at the end, he's like, nope, got to stick to your principles. Yeah. Yeah. He, like he earlier said he, that's what he would do. So, yep. So you got to give him that much. And also he's responsible for my absolute favorite line in that movie where he's breaking the phone and his wife is like, it's an inanimate object. And he's like, you're an inanimate effing object. <laughs> it's, it's so it's like completely makes no sense. And he screams at his wife that she's an inanimate object, but I love it. Just <laughs> angry, angry man. Yep. God, man. I, <laughs> I don't love that movie. Quite honestly, I watched it once, didn't like it and then watched it. Just, I think, last month with my wife, because she'd never seen it. And I was like, it's not as bad as I remember it, because I didn't like it the first time, but I still don't like it. Oh, no, that's my that favorite one. movie. Oh, interesting. That one bit, though. Oh, none, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Going back to the thing. She gives him the adium. It's like, you can sell it if you want. And uh, she's like, I, I swallowed it, but I didn't end up needing it, so I barfed it back up, because adium is valuable. Yeah, super cute, Vin. Super cute. <laughs> I'm going to give you this thing Such that I nice threw up. a nice moment. <laughs> you might want to wash this. Yeah, and Ellen tells her to keep it. It's like, look, we nothing good will happen from us selling this adium. There's there's just, it won't be enough to save us anyway, so. Yeah. yeah. Also, that was inside of you, and I don't really want to touch it. <laughs> <laughs> and she she's like, well, what do you mean? I, I, I drink things that have been inside the dog all the time. That's not helping. <laughs> And in fact, she gives it back to Orser to put inside. So, oh, 
Ellen's totally right, though. He's like, what the hell am I going to do with this? You can at least put it to practical use. I can't. Yep. It's, it's worth a small fortune, but we would need a very large fortune to make any difference at this point. Besides, who would buy it? Like, who am I going to sell this to? Straffer set? That would be a bad plan. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's that's genius. It's a genius plan because, uh, you know, she can just ask Zane for more. They can keep selling it back to Straff. Back to Straff. <laughs> and then ask Zane for more. <laughs> Well, I guess we do know that if, if Dax Hope ever comes to pass that uh, Vin takes down Zane, then she's got this in her corner, at least. When we know how yeah. hopeless the fight was last time when she did not have any. And then the, this last epigraph sounds incomplete to me. And I don't know if it sounds that same way to anybody else. But he says, I know what I have memorized. I know what is now repeated by the other world bringers. All right. <laughs> Once again, it's just like a... I feel like you don't need to put this in. You're trying to save space <laughs> on a metal sheet. Well, he had to brag about his memory, and then um, it's all very important stuff. You just don't understand. It's, it's, it's Evidently, uh, it's I don't. <laughs> and then we get into Tindwill and Says back in their in research mode, which I like these chapters with Tindwill and Says researching stuff because I, I think I'm I'm a little bit in Joe's camp where I feel like this is the, the big important story is what they're looking into in some 100%. ways. So I really like these chapters and uh, the hero of ages won't be Terrace. We know that from the logbook, but she also found a reference in the biography of Helen Chien, one of the last survivors of the council of Clenium. And so it, it turns out that the, uh, the rubbing or the, the, the word wall, whatever was very useful because it gave them, other names for the Hero of Ages, which they have now found in several other works that no one ever knew before was related to this other guy. But all of a sudden we've got a bunch more information about the Hero of Ages from these other records. The Rabzine and the Anemnosaur. She's like, I don't know, this doesn't tell us anything new. And he's like, I think the wording might be important because religions are often careful with these writings, especially prophecies. And that kind of sidetracks them into a discussion of religion, which we've gotten kind of hints and more than hints that Tindwell doesn't have high opinions of religion before now. But it kind of just comes out here where she's like, you're just giving people something to delude themselves with. And she doesn't believe in prophecies. She's like, religions are stupid. So nobody can see the future. Prophecies are dumb. And at the same time, she's like, OK, so when Says is trying to defend it, she's like, oh, so you're saying your interest is just academic? He's like, well, I, I wouldn't say that. And she's like, oh, crap. You think that this girl is the hero of ages, don't you? <laughs> I don't. Are we thinking that she's the hero of ages at this point? Says is starting to get on board this bandwagon. But we're not even to the book called Hero of Ages yet. So I was, I was going to say, well, like, we keep banging on about how this book's called The Well of Ascension. The next one, well. <laughs> yeah, and we're 72% of the way through at the point that I'm at now. And nobody's gone to The Well of Ascension yet, so. <laughs> Maybe my prediction from last episode is right. It's called um, The Hero of Ages because that's when they finally defrost Elendi. Mmm, there you go. The very end of this book is they're going to walk up and see him in an ice cube and be like, oh my god, he's alive, like a Captain America. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, like, if, he, if he's still somehow conscious, like, it'd be like the Barbosa moment from the end of the second part of the Caribbean. He's <laughs> like, so, what's happened to my kingdom? Like, Wait, did that ice cube just say, <laughs> help me? <laughs> And, okay, so she she says, and I guess I was being unfair to her. She says, look, Sazed, I think religion is good and belief is good, but you sh it's dumb to look for guidance in a few vague phrases. 
Look at what happened the last time someone thought they found the Hero of Ages. We got the Lord Ruler in the Final Empire, which, okay, point. And we found an entire metal sheet going, my bad, over and over. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, look, one of my cats is now next to me meowing. I don't know if you guys hear that. Vigo the Carpathian. Is it uh, Vigo? Yep. Yes. (laughs) Nice. Uh, Vigo. Still, I hope that if you do not believe the prophecies, why are we working to get all this information about the deepness and the hero? And Tidwell's like, well, this is like a recurring problem. It's happened before. It's happening again now. Maybe we can find information based on how they dealt with it before. And maybe that's where these prophecies and legends come from. Maybe it's not a matter of predicting the future. It's a matter of people being like, hey, this has happened. Here's how to deal with it when it happens again in a thousand years. Which that's, I think that's pretty logical, actually. Makes some sense. And she mentions that she's heard uh, from the maid that Vin scared Set away. And she's like, hey, maybe things are looking up. When before she was the one being like, I have a bad feeling about this, basically. She was the Han Solo. And <laughs> uh, now she's like, hey, maybe things are getting better. And Stace is like, mm, yeah, something tells me that set leaving is not good. I think we should be done with this soon. And she says, how soon? And he's like, I think we need to be done tonight. So now Says gets to be Han Solo and has a bad feeling. Is he even the one who says that in, in, in the first Star Wars movie? Am I making that up? Uh, no, you're not making that up. He does say it in the first one. Okay, because I, I know it gets said in, like, every one, and I was pretty yeah. sure he was the one that says it in the first one. <laughs> yes, he's the first one who says it when they are coming up on the Death Star. It's like, that's no moon. <laughs> no, actually, I think it's when they go in the trash compactor. Yeah, it's I in the trash remember. compactor. I was pretty sure it was in the... Okay, hold on. I have a bad feeling about this. Now we got to find out who says it in every movie. Uh, was that was Yeah, mm-hmm. that was Han in the trash compactor. Okay, good, good. So let's see. I like how the official Star Wars wiki starts with the Phantom Menace because, you know, chronological. Obi-Wan oh, Kenobi says it, says it uh, when he nice. talks to Qui-Gon Jinn at the beginning of the movie. Then Anakin in the second movie. And Obi-Wan in the third movie. And in Solo, a Star Wars story, Han Solo says, I have a really good feeling about this when he takes over the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> oh, no, this says that it was Luke when the Millennium Falcon approaches the Death Star says, I have a very bad feeling about this. Oh, and then Han in the trash compactor says, I got yeah. a bad feeling about this. Okay. But I guess Luke says it first. Yeah. There you go. Oh, there you go. Also, Han says it in Return of the Jedi. So maybe he says it more times. And in The Force Awakens. Okay. I remember um, it's 3PO in, in Return of the Jedi, and that was because he specifically asked Lucas, hey, can I say the line this time? <laughs> yeah, it says no. the 3PO. 3PO says it when entering Jabba's palace, and then Han says it after the Ewoks start the preparations to roast him. Yeah, okay, that, that's fair. That would I would get a bad feeling about that at that point, too. <laughs> okay, anyway, so yes, Sazed has a bad feeling about Set leaving. And then they discover that someone has ripped off a piece of the paper that they're working from, which is a tran- one of the transcriptions they've made of the rubbing. And not only that, it has been ripped off of multiple copies of this... Of the rubbing, basically, including the original, which was yeah. buried away this, in the chest. And this is weird, man. Like, uh-huh. I, I don't understand it because it's so specific. And they're like, it's done. And, it, and they're like, it was mechanically done almost because it's ripped down to the very same fiber in the same way on all mm-hmm. of these things. I do have a prediction as to who it was, but it's just confusing. Okay. And the sentence that has been ripped out is Alendi must not reach the wall of Sension. He must not be allowed to take the power for himself. That 
that that's a compound sentence because there's a semicolon in the middle. It sounds like two sentences when you read it. But anyway, uh, I wonder if the, that terrorist language has semicolons. Mm. So you are you guys saving for predicaments what your prediction is about who did the ripping? Uh, I guess I'll just say it now. I think it was Marsh. Ooh. Yeah, me too. Okay. Why? I was going to say I think it's the Inquisitor in the city, but I don't think that's Marsh. Oh, okay. okay. Interesting. Because I do that's think fair. it was the Inquisitor in the city, and I think it's Mar- and I think that's also Marsh, which is why I think he did it. Marsh is looking for something, man. And clearly, Sace is on to something that Marsh wants to know about. So. Well, why rip the same sentence off of every single one? Like, how does that get you more information than just ripping it off of one of them? Uh, I guess because he d- and again, it's not if if it's for what Sace is thinking, it's not thought out very well. It's like because he know he should know that they can just memorize it. Mm-hmm. So he's not really deprived because because the conceit behind it, what the reader's supposed to think is like they're trying to keep the information from says but like says has already seen it so he knows the information yep so my only thought is he 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 wants to give the information to someone or keep the information to from someone that is not sazed hmm. like keep it out of the hands of somebody else that is that not m- sazed that might involve needing to kill sazed i mean yeah that could be on the the docket i don't know yeah but that and, bit that he's ripped out it's like Elendi must not be able to reach the Well of Ascension. Well, that was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Right. What does what does hiding that information now, or well, giving that information now, actually do? Well, because it actually it doesn't just say he can't be allowed to reach it. He can't be. It says he can't be allowed to take the power. Mm-hmm. And so that's a pretty important piece, right? It's like we can't let Elendi go to the Well because he can't be allowed to take the power. If somebody wants to, if somebody wants somebody else to go to the well and take the power, mm. it's a good way to keep the keep that information out of their hands so that they might mm. take the power, not realizing that they shouldn't. Um, That's an interesting point, yeah. So I, you know, I really don't know the details of why this would be applicable to Marsh. It just seems like I do believe he is the Inquisitor in town, and I don't see how. And I and I can also see how he would be able to get in and out without being noticed and get that information. My other thought was that it was Orser, but I just don't. My theory is that he's the spy, so maybe he. But again, why try to keep that information away unless he's trying to push Vin to go to the Well of Ascension, and he doesn't want her to have that want her to have that information that she shouldn't take the power. And then my other weird thought about it was that it was Demu, and that Demu is like <laughs> taking that information to distribute it through the church. And I don't, again, I don't know why, but that's uh, mm. those. But my main theory is that it's Marsh. No, I th- I think it's Marsh, but I think it's a bit different to what you like. Marsh understands Says' abilities, so by specifically removing that sentence each time, he knows Says will remember it. So he's for- he's forcing Says to actually think actively about it. Oh. And keep it in mind, mm-hmm. so that yeah, if, I like that. So that's so it's deck. it's it's like a constant reminder then that uh, that with if 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 and when Sazed and Vin go to the well, Sazed is going to be remembering the whole time. It's like now remember that sheet said Alendi must not take the power for himself. Must take so Vin, if you take the power, you can't take it for yourself. Marsh is running a long game and tricking them into doing the right thing. Hmm. That's interesting. I like that thought. Yeah, yeah. that is the yeah. opposite of what Joe was thinking. The Joe's like, they're trying to hide it. And you're like, no, they're trying to high light it. 
That's yeah. Hmm. Of course, but it's, but that's that's Marsh being cryptic. But that could have been why he took Sage to the conventicle to begin with. He's like Ooh. deliberately setting him up so he finds this rubbing. He can take it back to Vin, uh, and then like that kicks off this whole process. Like Marsh could have been planning this the whole time. This might this is probably a stretch, but it I don't know. It, I guess it kind of makes sense in my head. That's interesting. I mean, I feel like that Sazed reading it knew enough that he's like, no, you shouldn't take the power for yourself without needing that part highlighted because it's are it's already kind of a focal point because Quan is saying the whole reason he betrayed Lendi is because he's afraid that he's going to take the power for himself. Yeah, so I guess. I, I don't feel like that necessarily needs highlighting, but I agree with you that that makes more sense than trying to hide it unless you're also going to kill Sazed because you're not hiding anything from him. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know what you think, Jamie. You have to be the tiebreaker again. Uh, <laughs> I'm more concerned about how is it ripped exactly the same. Mm. Like that, it doesn't make any sense to me. That is weird and mysterious. You are correct. Okay. Mm. Okay. Well, and while they're in the middle of this mystery, uh, there's a noise at the window, and Sage kind of hulks out. He's tapping some strength. Both of them, actually. And was like, oh, my, my bad. I wasn't trying to... Not, not starting to fight here, guys. Can we just... Uh, can we talk? And they're like, have you seen somebody weird around? Because something weird's going on in here. And she's, she, she says she'll keep a watch out for anybody suspicious. So that's good. And she tells Says that she needs to talk to him. And Tin was like, I'll go get us some lunch. Which she doesn't. She stands outside the room and eavesdrops, which I feel like is really rude. But maybe that's just me. But also totally what Tinville would do. Yeah. yeah. I think. Well, you know, when a woman wants to have a private word with your boyfriend, you don't. <laughs> you you want to know what's going on. Interesting point. And she's like, how do you know when you're in love, Sadies? And he's like, I don't know that I'm the right person to answer that. But. And he thinks at first that she's talking about Ellen and then eventually kind of taps into. Oh, is there somebody else that we're talking about? And she does explain one of her things with Ellen is that, like, he looked so horrified after what happened at the assembly attack. And Sace is like, well, okay, he's not like you, that he's done this a lot. Being kind of horrified is a natural reaction. And maybe you've forgotten this, um, but that's a normal thing. It's like, girl, he just saw a man's head explode. Anyone's going to take some time to recover from that. Yeah. And then she goes back to, like, I... I'm no good for him and the teen angst, blah. And then she's like, well, what if maybe there's someone else who was a better fit for me? And he's like, oh, okay. She's like, don't tell Ellen, please. And Vince says that this other guy is the kind of man that maybe she should be with. And it's very telling that says goes, well, do you love this guy? And Vin's answer is not yes. It's, well, he's strong, and he makes me think of Kelsier. And Sage is actually kind of more specific than I kind of expected. I thought that he'd be kind of general to be like, well, you know, you need to figure out what you want and go with whatever that is. But instead, he's like kind of a bro. And he's like, listen, Ellen is a good guy. And I saw you before being with Ellen and after being with Ellen, and you are much happier with Ellen. Are you really going to find somebody better than Ellen? Which I didn't think Sage would go that way, but I agree that it's a good way to go because Ellen is clearly the right choice here, and even Sage knows that. I mean, I've had that, I've had that thought as a 
young person and of course she's doing a little bit more than dating ellen but like you know i as a young person uh when i was a teenager like dating a girl it's like wow i really like this girl but shouldn't i shouldn't i check out other girls just to see like and you know it wasn't a good idea but in my teenage brain it made sense kind of Mm. it also just adds to the whole she doesn't think she deserves to be happy so she's actively like looking for reasons to not be in relationship that's going to be bad for her and on some level on some level this is just a very classic teenage drama where it's like do i go with the bad boy or (laughs) the nerd yeah and and you know it's kind of insulting to me that she says that he reminds her of Kelsier because Kelsier never did anything to make Vin feel bad about herself. It's true. He was yep. constantly lifting her up and saying, you know, you can do you can do and be whatever you want. Like you are strong, you can do this. And whereas Zane's like, no 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 no, he's using you. You need to be with me. We need to go off together and do our own thing. And it's and it's like shrouded in all this negativity and stuff, and it's just it's a lot different. He is extremely negative, and it's always like, "No, what you're doing is bad. Don't you understand? I know what's good for you." Which I guess, in a way, is all kind of what Kelsier did at first, because Vin had a very negative and bad attitude about everything, and he's like, "No, listen, I know you think that this way is better." But it's really not, and I know what's I like. Trusting is better than right. not having friends. Well, that's that, that's just it. Kelsey spent the whole time trying to like saying to her, "No, things are better than you think." Zane is going, "No, mm-hmm. things are worse than you think." Yeah, right. That's that, that's a really good way of putting that. Actually, yeah. And uh, <laughs> Zane's the kind of guy that takes his girl out to dinner and like orders for her, even though she doesn't want what he ordered. <laughs> And he's just like, no, you're gonna eat it. I know it's, I know it's best for you. And then half the time, he still makes her pay for it. Right. Well, obviously, yeah. Then <laughs> doesn't seem to come to a decision here, but she does. She's like, thank you for listening, says, thank you for coming back. And she leaves. And Tindwell's like, I think I'd be way more comfortable in this city if I didn't know that our Miss Bourne had the volatile emotions of a teenage girl. Which, yeah, okay, fair, but. That's really I, I don't like someone who's like going to sit. You know that this is a personal like relationship type conversation for this poor girl. And you're like, I'm going to listen. Tidwell doesn't get boundaries. No, not really. And Sage is like, hey, you're being unfair. Vin is more stable than you think. And she's like, Sage, I've raised 15 daughters. No teenage girl is stable, which I don't know. Maybe also fair. I'd have never been a teenage girl, so it would be unfair of me to uh, make a judgment there. And I was just thinking to myself, man, when that army of her children shows up, they're going to be huge. (laughs) It's like 15 girls alone. How many boys did she have? It's going to be like uh, like the in the movie uh, when they when the Battle of Helm's Deep happens and like the elves show up. It's going to be the the Tindwell Dirty Dozen showing up. I think I think it's more, more more than a dozen. Yep, you're right. It would have to be. <laughs> There's more than a dozen just daughters. So I think Say said that she had like thirty some odd children. So oh, did 15... he? I missed that. Uh, yeah, I, I I think that's right. I remember he said like she had a lot of twins, but I don't remember him giving a number. Mm, now we're gonna have to go back and look. In fact, the yeah, fact that you presumably they sorry, go ahead. presumably they're like ferrochemist children as well. So yeah, that'd be pretty terrifying. 
Okay. He says that at last count, she had birthed over 20 children. So I was a little bit off. Right. But at last count. Yeah. Like they're not quite sure. Could be more. <laughs> well, last time they they're... checked. Yeah. When they're when they're often twins or triplets, it's it's probably hard to keep track. It's fine. <laughs> and so in the middle of this discussion is when uh, Ellen shows up. Oh, hang on, hang on. You miss you missed like one of the best bits of this chapter where Tinwall sits down. She's still looking grim and everything. She says, "By the way, says you would have made a great dad." Oh yeah, yeah. She's like, "You would have made an excellent father." And says just embarrassed by this. But actually, yeah, he's like, I don't know about that, but okay, <laughs> thanks. Aww. I missed another another great bit, actually, because Says is like, you're lucky that she didn't catch you eavesdropping, because she's usually kind of paranoid about that. And Tin was like, Vin has a weak spot regarding terrorist people, which we can probably thank you for. <laughs> Tin will, once she gets caught by Ellen in a minute, it's like, I ain't been dropping no eaves, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I think that she makes a good point because I thought the same thing. It's like Vin has like Sazed as her model of terrorist people. And you can't imagine Sazed walking out of the room and then eavesdropping, right? So she's just like, oh, she just didn't even think that Tindwell might do that. Well, it's like the catch here is Vin has met exactly three terrorist people. Two, <laughs> two are in the room. The other was the Lord Ruler. The Lord Ruler. Yep, I could totally see point. him eavesdropping. Yep. Didn't think of that. Of course, Says and Tinwell are both like later generation after all the breeding uh, programs terrorist people, so that may make a difference in their attitude. Yeah, but also Says is the outcast, so his attitude is atypical. Also true. When Ellen shows up to ask Says for some advice, he's and Says like, "Oh yeah, sure." He's like, "Great, Tinwell, you're excused." Oh, <laughs> he's, like, this, this time I actually might get the food. <laughs> no, that that's later, even after this eavesdropping. Oh, okay. Because she just leaves. She doesn't even say anything. She rolls her eyes and shoots an exasperated glance at Sazed and then leaves. And he's like, I don't get Vin. She's she's hard to understand. And I like Ellen's line. It's like, shouldn't at least one of us know what's going on in our relationship? Which you would think that, but... And she, Ellen's pointing out all the ways they're different. He's like, maybe we're just too different. And Sazed is like, hey, you know, that that's not a bad thing necessarily. And he has his. He's just uh, like, man, you should you should have been here five minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, he's like, you guys are more similar than you probably think, actually. Uh, but he has his whole uh, metaphor about the key and the yeah. lock. Wow, was that convoluted or what? <laughs> I, was, I was just like, what? What are you babbling about? Locks and keys? They're people, says. Come on, man, you don't gotta sugarcoat it. But I guess he's playing to his audience because Ellen eats it up. Oh, yeah. Well, and Brandon says in the annotations, he's like, I really do think the key and lock speech is one of the most wise things Says has ever said. But then that's coming from the guy who wrote the words. So maybe he's, yeah. he's taking it with <laughs> I a mean, grain of salt. I, think I was about to say, I think there might be some bias there. Yeah. <laughs> Man, wasn't what this character said just like really, really smart? Dude. <laughs> but, but you're the one that said it, bro. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess. But I mean, the character said it. <laughs> But no, I mean, you know, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a good metaphor. He's like, these two things seem different when you look at them, but they actually work for the exact same function, and you can't use one without the other. It's a good metaphor. Metaphor was good. I started reading it, just going, oh, God, I'm back at work. 
<laughs> I didn't even think of that. That's great. <laughs> See, Dak is like, no, you don't need a key to unlock a lock. What are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, if you work with as many locks as I do on a daily basis, sometimes the key doesn't fit in the tumblers correctly <laughs> because the, the, the lock is rusted or... You know, something's wrong the keys, on the, the inside. The key's worn down. The key's worn down. They didn't cut the key correctly. Um, God, forbid you dro- God forbid you dropped the key and bent it. Yeah, mm. exactly. So, you know, sometimes that don't work with love. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes that lock and key, they ain't going to work together. And not because they weren't meant to, but because of some outside forces that kind of screwed it up. There, Brandon. Picking a lock adultery? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> there, Brandon. I'm wise, too. <laughs> and i like ellen's like you need to write a book sometime says that's as profound as anything i've read <laughs> it's just i love ellen he's so he he's the book guy it's great him and norden they're, they're the book dudes in this book i guess says is also a book guy it's okay but uh says is like hey you know just give vince some time to work stuff out and ellen's like well time's at a premium right now it's like yeah okay and then he's like, hey, what are you working on anyway? And it starts sounding interesting. And then Ellen realizes he's like, hey, OK, no, I don't have time to get into this now. I will read your conclusions when you're done. I can't get sidetracked right now, which is probably the most un and king-like moment that we've had of him this entire book where he's like, ooh, interesting book thing. I still want to get. No, no, nope. St- stop it, Ellen. <laughs> It's like, mm-hmm. gotta, gotta, gotta look forward. Can't do the book thing right now. Got other, got other fish to fry. Gotta do this later. Gotta wait till the book is bound and is properly thick. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Ellen totally knew the Tindwell. She's like, he's like, Tindwell, you can come back in now. She's like, what, how did you know I was there? And he's like, I just guessed. You're as bad as Finn. Which is great. Because yeah, Finn is totally an eavesdropper. So, <laughs> and I like Tindwell being like, I actually think that he might have managed to pull this off if they had let him stay in charge. So what a shame. And he says gets into a thing where apparently in the uh, Terrace prophetic language, the pronoun that they used for the Hero of Ages was gender neutral, meaning it as opposed to he or she. So he's like, wait a second, this could apply to Vin. And we end the chapter with him thinking, I have to find a way to get those two out of the city they must not be here when the city falls. Road trip, road trip. Yeah. So, I mean, he doesn't say that he's leaving. He says that the two, two of them need to leave. But I feel like that would be a good way to get Vin out of the city is uh, being like, hey, Vin, I'm going to lead you to the Well of Ascension. Let's go. She likes Sazed. I'll, I'll be your Terrace Pacman. Oh, wait. <laughs> oh, that's. <yeah. laughs> Whoops. So, anyway. He starts writing letters. Ooh, I wonder who he's writing a quick series of letters to. Bum, bum, bum. It will be three weeks for us before we get to talk about the answer to that question. But in the meantime, do you guys have any final thoughts on these three chapters before we move on? You know, these were uh, these were chapters, man. And, uh, <laughs> I, I, there I were words. I yeah, there were words. I'm, I'm glad that we kind of recorded these all in a row because I think I do need a break because I'm just kind of getting sad inside. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to take the time, do some self-reflection, you know, uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll travel a little bit, uh, <laughs> just really get to know me and um, maybe I'll read something a little more uplifting. And that way, uh, that way I can be ready for uh, for what lies ahead. 
So I hope you guys uh, will will come back and join us. Join us then. It won't be uh, three weeks for you. No, it'll be next week for them. Yeah, but you know, I'm reading the Count of Monte Cristo right now, and it's very uh, one. Of, that's probably quite possibly my favorite book ever, and there's so many like emotional moments in there. But anyway, set Alexander Dumas. Yeah. Okay. Let us do predicaments. Uh, who has some prediction? I keep saying who has, and then nobody says anything. So we're, we're, we're gonna we're gonna say Joe. What predictions do you have for predicaments? Where are we going? Mm, mm, yes, yes. Well, I want them to leave Luthadel. I want Says to write his letters, possibly to the terrorist people up in the north, and be like, "Hey, we're coming that way. We need like uh, we need help." So uh, prepare I, a bed. Yeah, exactly. I think maybe that's who he's writing letters to is the is the uh, council possibly to try to get their support, which they probably won't support him because, you know, we the synod or whatever they're called is is clear, has made it clear how they feel about says, uh, mm-hmm. you know, crazy adventures, even though I mean, he, d- if you got he does get results. It. Yeah, maybe. But even then, it's like he gets results. But uh, a lot of times, I guess that's not how the synod wants it done. So. Uh, he's right. Maybe I think he's writing letters to them to get some support so that they can travel up uh, there together. I think I just don't know how Ellen's going to leave the city. I I, I want to say in order for him to want to leave, it's going to like it's going to have to fall. The, the city's going to have to fall to the Coloss or something, because I just don't know what could get Ellen out of the city. And, and then my concern is more for like the other crew members. Like, what are they going to do? Are they gonna all go to the well together? Or are they gonna stay behind? What are they gonna disperse? Who and and also, you know, we're coming. We're like a little over seventy percent of the way through the book now. Like, we lost Kelsier in the last book. Are we gonna? Who are we gonna lose? Are we gonna lose somebody in this book? Mm. You know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. We might uh, have the Kandra reveal. Right. I w- and I wouldn't put it past. I wouldn't put it past Brandon to to kill one of our main characters. Again, I have my own theories on the Kandra, so I don't really think it's one of the crew members, but. But yeah, so it's we'll uh, we'll see. But I think uh, we had a, pr- a prediction not long ago that Ellen might end up dead here. Something tells me that's not going to happen. Uh, at least not in this book. Maybe that'll be the catalyst in the third book for whatever giant Vin world-saving thing that's going to happen. <laughs> um, but I don't think uh, something tells me it's not going to happen in this book. Okay, fair enough. I think Jamie had to go first last time, so we'll let Dak go, and she, Jamie can go last this time. Well, I, yeah, I threw out. I hold on to the hope, maybe not the prediction, but definitely the hope that uh, Zane is going to die. Um, mm-hmm. I would love to see it like at the end of this book on the at Orisaur's teeth, because I think that would like this. This whole book has been about building the relationship between Vin and Orisaur, so I think that would be a really cool note to end the book on. Is like showing like he has come to trust her so much he will do something that he knows his own people would kill him for to save her. I think that would be just a massive step in their relationship, and I think that'd be really cool to watch. As far as that goes, I think that Vin's going to leave, and Zane is going to follow because I think he's just a bit too obsessed with her, and like he's going to see her going off uh, on her own, and he'll just be like, "Oh, what's that about? Is she like trying to take my advice and cast off Ellen's shackles by leaving him behind?" And so he's going to be like, "Oh, I'm, I'm going to get all up in that because fuck him." So yeah, I feel like he's he's gonna follow her up to up towards Terrace. As for whatever goes on in the city, I feel like yeah, the 
the fact that there was a, a misborn attack uh, is going to lead Straff to going on to some, cause, uh, some more desperate measures. I feel like he's going to order Zane and whatever mistings he has left to like just go to town because he's terrified that he'll be next. So I think, and possibly Jastis mm-hmm. as well, I feel like they're both going to feel like terrified by what's just happened and they're going to want to strike back before they get their turn because they, they, they'll probably suspect that's coming for them. In which case, like, the city might wind up getting leveled by the Coloss, and if that happens, well, I guess Ellen's going to be out on the road anyway. <laughs> that's a fair uh, point. Yeah, that's about what I got. Okay. Interesting. You're both kind of uh, at least sharing a possible prediction here that the city may uh, may not outlast our characters here. That uh, the yeah. only way to get Ellen out of town is going to be to destroy the city, which that would be sad. Luthadel has but, been our, our home for the last two books. But long run, yeah, we're all like that could it. actually be, yeah, <laughs> it could actually be a good thing for the um for the characters and and the new kingdom they're trying to build because Luthadel is still the seat of power for the Lord Ruler. If you mm. destroy the city and you build another one in its place, it's no longer the Lord Ruler's thing. Like you can expunge him from memory. This is now mm. the new city, a symbol of the changed times. It's an interesting point. I mean, to do that, if 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 the Coloss take over the city or destroy the city whatever to refound a new city there you're gonna have to somehow take it back from the coloss which we still haven't established any good way of doing that but that's a fair point vin falls everybody dies <laughs> okay interesting okay jamie what, what what do you have for us okay so i'm sl- slightly bringing back a prediction from much earlier in the book okay. but i so i said before i don't think the inquisitor is marsh I we had thrown out an idea that maybe Quan was still alive. Maybe he was the first Inquisitor or something like that. Uh-huh. I sort of hope that it's him in the city, and because we've been, it's it's been sort of said a couple of times now. I think you know they're talking about Quan's writings and Alendi's writings, but they're both dead, and the Lord Ruler's dead, and no one's ever really going to know what happened. And I think maybe maybe one of them shouldn't be dead. Like if Rashek managed to find a way all these years, who's to say that maybe Quan couldn't, you know, maybe mm. now there's a familial tile in the, uh, tie, tie <laughs> in there between Rashek and Quan as well. Maybe he was held captive or held a prisoner for years and years and years and Marsh has been involved in letting him out or, or something, I don't know. And they know what has to happen to... When they go back up to the well to destroy the deepness, which could then tie into, I guess, what we were saying before about that that uh, last sentence being torn out of the paperwork. If that kind of front of mind, you know, I feel like that's something that one of those characters would probably do. Oh, okay. Uh, why why would Quan want to do that? No, I'm curious. Well, I mean, if if it was, you know, they mustn't take the power. Mm-hmm. That's that's a pretty strong message that he's been sending too. He didn't think sure. that. Alenti would give up the power. So if that's something that needed to happen and and if it was sort of keeping it front of mind, like I think it was Dak that said, that would definitely be a message he wants to pass on. Okay. So, yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking there. I still think Ellen will go with Vin and probably because the city's fallen or there's nothing else that he can do there, they may end up leading a larger group to go as well. Ellen will end up leading the people or something. I think Zane will probably end up with them at some point, whether whether he leaves with them or he's following or 
being creepy like Zane is. <laughs> um, because I think I think he's he's interested in Vin, but he also doesn't seem to want to leave Ellen alone too much either. I think he really – I feel like he wants to meet his brother. And I think Ellen still has no idea. I don't think Vin has actually told him that yet. No, I don't. I think you're right. It, so uh, we, we haven't seen her say that, hey, by the way, you have a brother. Hmm. That yeah. seems like the kind of thing so that I feel you like should at mention. Some point, you'd think so. <laughs> you'd think so. But um, I feel like Zane and Ellen are going to have to meet soon. So where, wherever that is, I'm not sure. It, they, they met briefly uh, early in the book because Zane was like the messenger from Stretch. But, as, but they didn't meet as brothers, yeah. Not as brothers, yeah. I think that changes things a little bit. Mm-hmm. Just, just, a, just a touch. <laughs> we share the same psychotic father. Great. It would be a shame if Ellen never got to meet his uh, crazy brother so that God could be like, <laughs> yeah. kill him. Yeah. I mean, it might be yeah. a way for, uh, for Zane to throw some more distrust between Ellen and Vin, like confront, uh, confront them both and be like, Hey, Ellen, I'm your brother. She knew she didn't tell you. Mm. Exactly. That's fair. Yep. He hasn't tried on, mm. on, on Ellen's end to manipulate anything yet. He's, it's been all Vin. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. That's it for me today. All right. Well, for next time, we are reading chapters 46 and 47, only two chapters for the next time. But I think you guys will enjoy these two chapters. There's some cool stuff going Ooh. on. Spoiler. Just, uh, just, <laughs> I say that every time. I'm like, there's some cool stuff coming up. I, I don't really say that every time. <laughs> fair, but uh, probably often enough, but it doesn't have much meaning. Sure. But who knows? Major plot threads could get resolved in these two chapters. Or maybe or not. Maybe not. <laughs> uh, no email since yesterday shocker so nothing to read there but if anyone would like to send us an email and for once if you send it after hearing this it will not be that as long before yours gets read because this will be the last of the ones that we're recording back to back so you can send us an email at thesanderlanch at gmail.com and there is an e at the end of that you can tweet at us at the Sanderlanch. you can find us on the facebook's Sander Lynch. You can uh, find us on Instagram. Maybe even have a Discord going soon. I haven't had a chance to look at that since yesterday when I read the email, but I'm going to. So send us messages. Talk about it. There was, oh, actually, hold on. Somebody left us a review on Apple Podcasts a while back, and I was going to read it. I'll pro- I, I probably get in the habit of looking for these so that I can read them if other people do to encourage people to review. But yeah, so we had one. Uh, review left on apple podcasts that says thanks for the show this is dan from indiana like the show exciting to see newbies finding the cosmere five stars thank you dan we appreciate that yes dan thank you so much if um if you guys want to go rate us on apple podcasts give us five stars um what 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 should we do data why don't we induct dan (laughs) why don't we have levels right he he gave us a review on apple Podcasts, so he's a misting interesting you'd have to start okay. keeping track of these things oh yeah i guess so well dan you're you, you know it you, if you <laughs> I'm, I'm just putting it out there if you guys leave us a review on apple podcast a five-star review you are a misting okay if if we ever had like a patreon or something that would totally be how you name the levels of uh, right like yeah i have i have in the past given consideration to like doing a patreon type thing but i feel like it doesn't make sense unless we have something special to offer people yeah. 
who donated and we don't really have anything extra to offer at the moment. Maybe if we have more time, come up with something someday. Mm. Like we'll we'll have Joe DM a couple sessions of the Mistborn role playing game. Sure. And we'll have to make characters and things. Ooh. Or uh, we just do like yeah, we do like a bonus pod. Yeah, we do like bonus pods where we do stuff like that. But anyway, that's that's something that's been in the back of my mind that you reminded me of with your talking about different levels. Well, Dan, I don't care what anybody says. You're a misting. Thanks for the five-star <laughs> review. Yes. It's like but, amazing, um, but I'm misting. We don't know which kind of misting. You're going to have to like assign, like, like he's like pewter or yeah. tin or something. Yeah. Well, if he left us a, an Apple, a five-star Apple podcast review, I'm going to say he's a thug. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but rate us, leave us reviews wherever you get your podcasts, assuming that it has that function for the rating and leaving reviews. Some places, I guess, don't. And uh, come back next week for chapters, as I said, uh, 46 and 47. These we're, we're not recording for like three, uh, two weeks. It'll be three weeks when we do the next recording. So these guys may have forgotten everything that we've learned so far, which means any surprises will just hit them that much harder. It'll be Ooh. great. <laughs> <laughs> just imagine we're going to have, like, a, a massive amount of emails to deal with when we come back. Maybe. Yeah. You never know. Uh, some right. weeks we don't get any. Some weeks we get, like, five in the same week. So who knows? Mm-hmm. But thank you, everyone, for listening. Regardless of how many stars you leave us or if you ever leave us any <laughs> stars, just keep coming back, listening, and hopefully enjoying. That is all we ask. Music by Miracle of Sound. Thank you, everybody. Wasing to the time of next. And we tried, tried, tried to keep a little beauty in the world. All that died, 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 we keep it in our hands. Oh, 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 oh. we are the better boys. We are the better keep it in our hands. Tell it to the pain Who will never let it fade